Hello, and welcome to another edition of the BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Oliver Girl Grant, and I'm joined today by Dr. Sammy Huda, a consultant psychiatrist at Hemsfield and Bossapelian Intervention Team, and Mr. Joel Petch, who is a senior lecturer at Kent and Medway Medical School. And we're going to be discussing their new paper in BJ Psych Advances, Too Soon to Discard Kreplin, Improving Diagnosis by Appropriate Use of Neocreplinian and Unitary Psychosis Models. Sammy and Joel, thank you very, very much for joining me. Thank you for asking. Oh, thank you. So uh, maybe we could kick off by someone giving a very quick rundown of what this paper's about. This paper's aimed more at the mental health clinician, and it's about trying to sidestep, I suppose, from the sort of academic arguments about which model you should use in psychosis. And I suppose it's a bit like that meme, isn't it? Why not both? Because obviously in the academic world, there's this big argument whether we should stick to the older crep belt, the both old. In the more recent tradition of this new Kreplinian diagnostic classifications like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and the more like ones with schizoaffective disorder, whether we should switch to like a, a unitary psychosis type diagnostic model. And the um, argument the journals is from the point of view of academics, really, who are trying to find out mechanisms, why things happen. And then from then on, also kind of more advanced treatments. But our article is more at the sort of average clinician, not just a psychiatrist, who has to use a system that's practical and allows them to make evidence-based decisions about patients. That's essentially what the article's about. And it, it eventually what it will say is, look, if someone closely fits a sort of archetypal, prototypal model of a neocrepillinian diagnostic category, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, then use that. But if they don't really, and of course we find a lot of people in clinical practice who don't fit neatly into these prototypes, then you can use a sort of a unitary psychosis model. And in all cases, look for a note, important information. It's associated risk of psychosis, whether it's biopsychosocial factors. Try and add on formulation to reflect the patient's own narrative of what happened, life events, their views, the perspectives, the relevant cultural factors. And if you can find an appropriate evidence-based psychological model, you can add that on as well, such as, for example, um, the Freeman's model for delusions, which actually focuses more on why the delusions maintained rather than necessarily how it came about. And to utilise the data in this way to get a better conceptualisation of the patient to guide their clinical management. Okay. I mean, it's an extremely interesting and complex topic, exactly what diagnostic classification system should be used and when. And I think one thing that may be useful before we go on is just to understand what you mean exactly by these two different terms. So what what do you mean by neocreplinian and what do you mean by unitary psychosis? Well, I suppose these are two quite old models and the unitary psychosis model is actually older. So the idea is, is that obviously mental illness got subdivided into sort of what we would call now psychosis and then neurosis, dementias, etc. And then the unitary psychosis model was essentially that all the kind of what we would call psychosis is one sort of entity. It wasn't useful or possible to divide it up. And the differences in presentation were due to either sort of individual factors such as life experiences or individual biological factors. And then obviously Kreplin, late 19th, 19th, early 20th century, did his cards, according to details of all his patients. And he thought that if you could separate 
prognosis then you identify the different prognosis reflected different disease pathways so we came up with obviously the famous dementia precox where it was inevitable decline although one in seven of them did recover and then you had manic depressive psychosis in which you had a fluctuating course but they didn't decline their periods of recovery and he had this sort of symptomatic overlap between them but some symptoms were common in one group than the other and of course he later recanted this simplicity division and then the unity cycle this became sort of um, the dominant model from german and then through that to british and american psychiatry uh, and then the world and then obviously because of dissatisfaction as noted this symptomatic overlap this prognostic overlap Although people meet schizophrenia criteria, are more likely to have a worse prognosis and other features such as cognitive impairment, negative symptoms, etc. Mm-hmm. So dissatisfaction of that then led the comeback of the unitary psychosis model. And there's an excellent article by Van Os and Reining House and World Psychiatry, which obviously we reference, with an updated version of it. And, and in his version, it's got dimensions to reflect symptomatic variety uh, that you can get in this condition. So you've got all these kind of articles that I know, of course, death of schizophrenia concept, etc. But the problem is it reminds me of Richard Drake, who's a Manchester academic, and he's done a talk which is, so why is Kreplund still hanging around if it's so bad? And because the data does support that people who meet the criteria for schizophrenia uh, do tend to have a worse a prognosis than people with other kind of outcomes, like, for example, meet the kind of bipolar disorder criteria. Although obviously there's an overlap between the two categories. But then obviously, as I said, in clinical practice, you meet people who don't particularly meet these criteria and you're kind of shoehorning them in or people want you to shoehorn them in. And it's the idea is, well, sometimes it might be that there's people who easily fit these prototype criteria and these might be different from a kind of much broader psychosis category, which may be continuous with unusual experiences in the community, which aren't of clinical concern. So the idea is to use whichever model is most appropriate for the patient. You don't have to choose between the two of them. And so uh, that's obviously um, sound advice to clinicians. Tell me, why have you uh, written this paper now? I mean, obviously, we're delighted that you have, but is there uh, is this a particular concern at the moment in clinical practice, or is there some uh, guideline that's uh, made you think this is the right time to communicate? Uh, maybe Joe can take that question about how the paper came about. Yeah, thank you, Sammy. So, so thank you for the question. In terms of the genesis of the paper, clearly this is an ongoing debate and it's not a debate we're looking to resolve. We're looking to capture evidence from different sources and present this in front of people so that they can draw their conclusions. But we're looking to enhance pragmatism so that people can can essentially identify that and acknowledge that actually no system is, is perfect. So it's, it's really a call for pragmatism. In terms of the genesis of this paper, Sammy and I published um, a blog about two years ago now, and we were looking at the term schizophrenia and how this is often um, misunderstood in the pub- public lexicon. And the blog, it, it developed a bit of traction on social media and it developed a bit of a discussion, which is always nice. But essentially, it was looking at this phenomena, which which we refer to as schizophrenia. And we, we tracked it back in history into the, the unitary um, psychosis model. And then we looked at the work of Kraepelin and the, the um, division into dementia, precox and, and manic depression. 
Uh, and we kind of worked forward from that point, looking at the work of Eugene Blula um, and Kurt Snyder with the first rank symptoms. Then we looked at some of the major interventions that had been used in, in not so, so long ago, really, in terms of Manfred Sekel with insulin shock therapy and Antoni Gosmanaz for the prefrontal uh, leukotomy. Uh, and, and then we spoke about the, the kind of rather serendipitous nature of the discovery of uh, chlorpromazine in the 1950s. And then we looked at where we are now. We looked at the evidence in terms of hyperdopaminergic states and actually how, and, and the, the final common pathway as well. So we kind of had a, a very brief overview of, of the relative recent history um, before we got to where we are today. And we started to look at these diagnostic categories and how, yes, they may be helpful on one hand, but they may be less helpful on another. But we're also looking at the, the, the need to emphasize and focus upon the psychosocial stresses there, those injustices in, in society and the, the social determinants of health. And, um, and we also alluded to, to the potential role for precision or, or personalized medicine, including um, a greater focus upon um, autoimmune encephalotides, which on the surface seem to mimic the psychosis. And we looked at some of the dangers of that. So the blog in itself was a really varied and widespread piece. Um, and following this, um, it's taken a, a good few months. Sammy and I decided to develop this into a more formal piece, um, specifically looking at um, the relative merits or relative disadvantages of the uh, neocriplinian and, and unitary psychosis models. And essentially, uh, we're, we're not sitting on either side of the argument here. We're, we're putting it out there and, uh, and having a bit of a discussion about it, but acknowledging that actually none of these systems are entirely perfect. And it's a, it's a call for pragmatism. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's absolutely uh, a valid call. And I think in, in my mind, many practicing psychiatrists, this is what I think the framework they have is in their heads. And I'd love to see what you two think about this, is that they have something that's halfway between a unitary psychosis model uh, and a neocriminian model. And I think many um, practicing psychiatrists will have in their heads that you can have psychosis for an organic cause, so, you know, secondary to some medical insult or, or, or whatever it might be. Then you can have non-organic psychosis. And then you can have probably like a manic psychosis or a psychotic symptoms presenting as part of a dominant secondary condition. What do you think about this as a sort of a three category model for pragmatist, for pragmatic use in everyday practice? Do you think this is uh, what people think? Uh, and if so, what, what, what are your views on the utility of that? I mean, if you talk about psychiatrists, I mean, you, you've got your traditionalists who just stick to the kind of ICD-10 and DSM categories. And then you've got like other people who might be thinking, I suppose what I'm saying is a spectrum. So you've got a spectrum between traditionalists uh, in terms of the DSM and ISD who stick to that. Then you've got people at the other end who are very more into unitary psychosis models. And you've got people in the middle who kind of like, like you said, in that kind of position, isn't it? That, you know, they have to make a call for coding purposes, but they're not necessarily wedded completely to the Nikon and Neocrepolinian model, nor they're necessarily wedded completely to unity psychosis model. I suppose part of the article is to say that in clinical practice, you can adopt that flexible approach of using whichever model fits the patient best and perhaps recognise that maybe both answers might apply, but in different people. Mm-hmm. And I think um, exactly most may, may apply. And Joel, you, you mentioned just then as well that one thing you cover in the paper is the pros and cons of these two different frameworks. 
Um, so what are the pros and cons of using, I guess, a, a unitary psychosis model compared to a more complicated uh, diagnostic category system? For using a unity psychosis model? Uh, or, or the other way around. I mean, it could be either way. So I, I guess there's pros to using a neocriplinian model, and I guess there's pros to using a unitary psychosis model or maybe situations in which one could be more appropriate than the other. Um, what, what do you think those pros and cons are? The difficulty with the neonatal psychosis model is you, you kind of you both have a difficulty in getting data and kind of maybe perhaps losing data. So one of the difficulties most of the research is done using DSM. Some with ISD, but mostly it's DSM. So you're having to extrapolate, aren't you? You're having to do a, a you know, like saying, well, when DSM says this, they mean people who I would classify unitary psychosis model using this way. So you're kind of translating evidence. You lose some of it and with the unity psychosis model, it depends how extreme you want to take it. I mean, do you think all psychosis is in this? So does this mean people who've got psychosis sent to organic insults or drug intoxication? Are they in this model? Are they, you know, is it a separate model saying, oh, if you exclude all that sort of thing? So a unity psychosis model still has to keep the rest of the diagnosis, even if, it, you know, things like organic psychosis and substance use intoxication. So you could keep it as a special, you know, you know, to replace schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, etc. But you still keep the other you know, organic psychosis conditions. But you're having to extrapolate data, and you also lose some inferential data from like the schizophrenia diagnosis, which has also got prognostic values. The other issue is it's a bit complicated. It requires a lot of cognitive resource. And I think in the article we mentioned the fact the context in which, for example, a lot of mental health practitioners work is. They're seeing quite a lot of people, sometimes emergencies, sometimes with the night, etc. They generally want a system that is cognitive resource light so that they're not spending their time trying to classify the patient and maintain this data in the head instead of spending time talking to the patient and helping the patient. And that's part of the problem with the psychosis model is it's slightly more cognitive resource dependent. Well, not slightly more, depending on how many dimensions you add it. But the advantage of the disadvantage of the Crepalinian system is that it doesn't fit a significant portion of patients, isn't it? So as I said, if you use everyone with chronic hallucinations, you call them schizophrenia. Well, that's rubbish. <laughs> it just doesn't fit the facts, does it? And, it? and you're kind of being overly pessimistic about people who, some people have got quite good outcomes. So you've got a lot of people with non-clinical voice hearers, aren't you? Now, DSM would say, well, they don't meet the dysfunction criteria, but an ISD-10 doesn't have that. It would just classify them as having schizophrenia, wouldn't it? Which is rubbish, isn't it? So that's a problem with uh, being too rigid with the Crepalinian model is that if you apply it too rigidly, you're forcing people into kind of prototypes that they don't fit. Yeah, and I, I agree with Sammy there. I think that the risk is that but by doing so, we, you know, even the marginal cases are then being um, categorized into in, into categories where it actually is probably less than helpful to do so. Um, so it comes back to uh, you know, the, the the call for pragmatism really in terms of well actually we've got these different systems and and actually it, let's let's not be too robust or rigid in the way that these are applied to practice but um, look at people in in terms of what what their needs are in terms of um, their current healthcare needs but also in terms of their current precipitants and psychosocial stressors and what best can be done to um, assist them in managing their current experiences 
Mm, absolutely. Uh, and I think you, you actually propose, uh, sort of towards the back end of your paper, this new psychosis diagnostic model, uh, which I think you've probably partially discussed already. But maybe one of you could talk us through the, the, what you propose for clinicians in the new psycho- psychosis diagnostic model. Um, so I suppose the idea is, is first of all, you, you assess the patient. Uh, as general, and if you think they have a, a kind of psychotic condition, you obviously assess the kind of symptoms as you can. If they meet the criteria for a, a Kreplinian prototype, then you'd use that diagnostic category. But for schizophrenia, you'd be more restrictive to say people who've got, you know, to more the kind of European idea of schizophrenia. So it's not just the kind of like two types of different psychotic symptoms for one to six months, depending if it's DSM or ISD. You look for a presence of negative symptoms or cognitive impairment or some sort of other schizophrenia associated features such as maybe the schizotypal disorder. Or maybe if they've got a clear-cut primary delusion, a Jasperian primary delusion, or if they've got um, disorders of self, there's just been a, a systematic review out one of the nature journals about disorders of self and schizophrenia spectrum disorders. The, the problem with disorders of self is that they're fascinating. I don't know if you, anyone, I advise everyone to go to www.easenet.dk. There's loads of papers there on disorders of self and do a fantastic course in Copenhagen. They're fascinating, but they're quite hard to assess and they're quite time involved. So that's one of the issues is that the average clinician probably wouldn't have time to assess. But yeah, so we're looking for a more restrictive diagnosis of schizophrenia than the one used at present. If you meet that, or if you meet, say, something like bipolar disorder, use that kind of category. But if they don't easily fit a, a prototype, then Use the kind of maybe the Van Oz mining house or whatever university you know, psychosis model that you're comfortable with, and then whatever model you're using, rate their symptoms using dimensions because DSM five and ISD eleven both have dimensional symptoms rating to capture the symptomatic heterogeneity, and then start identifying any kind of biopsychosocial risk factors associated with increased psychosis, like anti-NMD antibodies, um, maybe genetic conditions such as chromosome twenty two deletions as well as important social risk factors such as being Black Caribbean in the UK or history of childhood trauma. So include that in your data. Then to try and do an individual formulation, you want to know what the patient's life history, the viewpoints, any important cultural points, the viewpoints of the relatives, what their preferences are for treatment. And then for some kind of symptoms, you've got very good evidence-based psychological models that you can use like I've already mentioned Freeman's uh, model for delusions and you can add them as appropriate so you're collecting a lot more data than just a diagnosis and obviously if you collect the biopsychosocial risk factors that gives you more idea why this person's having a psychosis and you can maybe you can collect that data at a group level at a higher population level and you can see you know what factors are driving maybe psychosis in a population so obviously I, I don't work in Manchester itself. I'm working the, to the east of Manchester. But obviously, if you work in places like Manchester and London, with higher psychosis rates, it would be interesting to know what are these different factors that are present at the population level, maybe to try and understand why psychosis is so high in those areas. Mm. Well, that's uh, absolutely fascinating. And I think very important uh, and thought-provoking for everyone that's working uh, on the front line and seeing patients. Thank you so much for joining me today. That was Dr. Sami Huda and uh, Mr. Joel Petch discussing their new paper published in BJ Psych Advances, Too Soon to Discard Kreplin, Improving Diagnosis by Appropriate Use of Neocreplinian and Unitary Psychosis Models. Uh, Sami and Joel, thank you both very, very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you for asking me.
Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych Advances podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.